With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's July 16, 2017. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living Radio Show, where progressives for change present opinions that matter. Tonight we are joined by co-hosts Jeff Brown and David Fillion. I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. Please remember that good leadership is never about power and control, but rather for the honor and privilege of serving the members in the interest of those memberships. Okay. Having said that, we certainly hope everyone had a, a good Fourth of July and you're enjoying your holiday time off, vacation time off, uh, and stayed safe. Unfortunately, and very sadly, a Union sister from Louisville, as a pedestrian, was hit by a vehicle and lost her life. Her name is being withheld pending proper notification of all of her next of kin. But our thoughts and prayers go out to her and her family and her friends and all the co-workers where she worked. Please let's have a moment of silence for this sister. Thank you very much. Announcements, and we have a lot of them, some of them kind of long. Uh, the first one, remember that Team Working for a Living supports Medicare for everyone. Remove the cap on Medicare on uh, Social Security, and it pays for all of that and has some money left over to retire debt because we put the 95% of the money that's not paying very little uh, toward the running of this country to work, and that's held by the one percenters. Us 99 percenters only control 5%, and we're being asked to pay for everything with our 5%, and that's got to stop. Uh, also, there is scheduled a Medicare for All March on July 24th, 2017 on the West Lawn of the Capitol from 3 to 7 p.m. That's July 24th. Second announcement. Team Working for a Living continues to oppose the Working Families Flexibility Act. Third announcement. Team Working continues to stand shoulder to shoulder with the Michigan Building Trades against the newly introduced legislation to repeal Michigan's prevailing wage laws. And we know who's in control of the Michigan legislature and the governor here. They have an R behind their name in the majorities. Uh, Announcement number four, remember uh, that on November 13, 2016, Team Working for Living Caucus announced its first platform plank, Return to Labor Ethos, further defined on our website as Return to Core Union Values. On the 16th of June, some 16 months later, President uh, of the UAW, Dennis Williams, proclaimed the UAW needs to return to core values. I think we heard that before. The next week, during the week of June 19th and 23rd, we found out what those core values were. 
what they truly meant as Cindy Estrada, Vice President of the GM UAW Department, stood shoulder to shoulder with Kathy Clegg, the General Motors Vice President of North American Manufacturing and Labor Relations, as they both told 179 hourly team members, 95 salary group leaders, and 40 salary shift leaders that they have to make the corporation 30% more profitable by the year 2020. Yes, you heard that correct. Cindy Estrada in lockstep with General Motors VP Kathy Clegg want you to work 30% harder to achieve their goal of 30% more profit. So much for Dennis Williams' core values of our union that he stated just the previous week. And that, sisters and brothers, is exactly why Team Working for a Living Caucus now exists. Okay. Uh, announcement number five, on June 27th, the 45th Pre United States President, we know who that is, number 45, nominated 75-year-old attorney William Emanuel to serve on the National Labor Relations Board. Mr. Emanuel is a full partner in the Los Angeles firm of Littler Mendelssohn, which boasts the world's largest global employment labor firm with 1,300 attorneys in 75 offices worldwide. The firm boldly states they have ad advice and strategies for lawful union avoidance and how to detect early warning signs of organizing activities and minimizing the risk of, of an organizing campaign and countering the, the broader union movement. Wow. Now, that is somebody who needs to protect the interest of workers in the United States. Kind of like Betsy DeVos, a known charter school advocate protecting the public school system. The things that make you go, hmm. Announcement number six. Last week, in an unprecedented move that no previous U.S. president has done, number five had his Election Integrity Commission demand the full names, birth dates, addresses, political affiliations, voting history, and partial social security numbers of every registered voter in America. Can anyone say voter suppression? I must tell you that the local county clerk in the capital state, uh, county of the, the uh, capital of Michigan has sent out an email stating that the Secretary of State for the state of Michigan sent only the information that's public, did not send any non-public information like Social Security numbers, uh, etc. Uh, and please not uh, recant or stop your voter registration. Please continue to vote. This has been done. There's nothing we can do about it. Stopping your voting only uh, allows their uh, effort to be fulfilled, I guess. So 
uh, please continue to vote is her conver- uh, her admonition, and that uh, we uh, not worry that personal information like Social Security numbers was not delivered. Okay, the question now becomes: Should we we be worried that old number 45 might have plans for a gun integrity commission? Another thing that makes you go, hmm. So, uh, uh, announcement number seven, uh, I have personally researched the U.S. Supreme Court cases that it agreed to hear in this next year's uh, court cycle, and I did not, I did not find that Janice versus Ask Me listed. So it appears that they, we have yet another year for uh, uh, labor not to have any uh, issue with Janice at the Supreme Court. So that's a good victory for labor. So announcement number eight, uh, UAW files for certification vote at the Nissan plant to represent their 3,500 workers. Best wishes in that effort. Announcement number nine, some Ford workers are officially uh, are f- some Ford Explorers, I apologize, some Ford Explorers are officially being pulled from service due to exhaust problems. We've known about the uh, Explorer exhaust problem for some time. They're officially being pulled now. Announcement number 10, uh, as I said, this is a long announcement we've had in a couple of weeks here. Uh, announcement number 10, this is some good news. Uh, Budweiser workers at Claire Rose on Long Island, New York, have settled their strike with wage gains and pension protections. Congratulations to our Teamsters sisters and brothers. Announcement number 11, it has been reported that some 400 pounds of marijuana with a street value of $1 million was found in Ford Focus vehicles made in Mexico and delivered to a real delivery station in Northeast Ohio. My God, I mean... You think about it, just about every anybody that wants to grow some marijuana, uh, at least around these parts, <laughs> has a whole passel of them in their, their basement, their, their deck, you know, garden, you name it. And why do they have to be shipping this stuff up here from Mexico anymore? It's just hilarious to have this happen. But it did, and it was in the uh, spare tire place uh, on the vehicle, and they were fashioned and molded to look like spare tires. <laughs> a lot of work going into this. I, I just don't know why they got to be sending up here. There's enough of it growing up here to start your own war with that stuff. <laughs> oh, geez. Announcement number 12. Um, it's also been reported, and this is sad, been reported that at this time the average American household can no longer afford a new car want to thank everybody that participated in the 19, 1982 Mexico City G7 summit and decided at that summit that the rest of the world would go to a sales tax and the United States would uh, stay on a payroll withholding tax. That has caused the exodus of money and jobs from our nation and we never even knew it occurred because nothing happened here. And now there's not enough money for the average family in our country to afford a car. Uh, uh, announcement number 13, sadly, it's now official that the 
FCA Connor Assembly Plan Detroit that builds the Dodge Viper will permanently close on August 31st, 2017. We're sad to hear that, and we wish everyone that's working there the very best as they have some transition into other facilities as may exist. Best wishes to each and every sister and brother there. Uh, announcement number 14, the UAW and Unifor have announced plans, Unifor from Canada, have announced plans to collaborate on the renegotiation of NAFTA. And please don't forget what I just said about sales tax with the rest of the world and us on payroll withholding tax. That's your core problem. But NAFTA, as you've heard me indicate on at least two different shows, when we paired two first world countries with a third world country, what did you expect was going to happen? And there was no sliding scale requiring an uh, input of minimum wage on any products coming from Mexico into the tier one countries. In that sliding scale, you know, you put a, uh, an $8 scale on per hour on any product sent from Mexico built there and sent here, and then as they start to get closer and closer to our minimum wage, then you lessen that amount. And eventually, they're making equivalent to our minimum wage, which most of us now here in the United States seems to be working and, and earning, which is sad. So uh, that's the key. Put a sliding scale on anything coming from them in Mexico, and that doesn't demean anybody there. It just sort of levels the playing field, and they start to get to where they can earn enough money to be a consumer nation in Mexico and not just a manufacturing nation that takes advantage of, you know, at one point $0.35 cent an hour wages. Now it's about $2 an hour. But it's uh, it needs to be – there needs to be some parity there, and if you haven't heard the shows, go back and listen to them. You really need to get that education there, uh, Mr. Dennis Williams and all your team. Okay. So having said that, uh, that's the end of the announcements. We have three email. Uh, first email, I've been listening to the uh, announcements lately and have taken uh, notice that uh, every, every, nearly every day there's more bad news out of Washington. I'm now enlightened as to who are not friends of labor, and I'm sorry for my vote last year, CW in Illinois. Well, CW, I'm sure there are probably a lot of people sad and maybe disappointed in their vote and the outcome of their, their vote from last year. But that uh, needs to get put behind us. Uh, welcome back, CW, and anyone in that situation, you know, to the understanding that, you know, while uh, – there are some really bad people out there against labor. There are also some not-so-bad people out there. And you wonder sometimes if uh, the other party doesn't have a little bit of uh, hate toward us as well, but at least we can deal with them a little better, and we don't see the daily news coming out of, of Washington. So welcome back. Uh, you know, nobody's mad at you, especially us here in this caucus. We, we uh, hope that everybody 
is welcome back into the fold. You know, don't be mad at people just because of, you know, a mistake. They thought they were doing the right thing, and you can't fault somebody for doing the right thing. Uh, so, uh, you know, maybe we can turn this announcements every day around, these bad announcements. We're, I know there's a lot of people working on it. I mean, I know the, the hospitals have people, uh, staff and doctors going to, out of Lansing, going to D.C. nearly every day. There's a flight with a group of them headed there and coming back. So uh, just know that there's a lot of people working to try and stop what's going on. So CW, have some faith, okay? And and uh, remember who our friends are not is all we ask. So announcement number two, <laughs> my union rep told me to file for unemployment last week, and now I'm in trouble with the unemployment office. Why was I told to file last week? That's from GC, and we're going to withhold the state because it might get that person in trouble. Um, so there is a letter out by Cindy Estrada in the back of the General Motors agreement that essentially says management will notify you in sometime in February and if any changes occur as soon as possible thereafter regarding the vacation shutdown. And that means that management is responsible for telling you when they're responsible for coordinating with or not to have any coordination with the unemployment office. Uh, if you are, I mean, they've already told the unemployment offices the shutdown week is not a layoff. It's a vacation period, uh, or weeks in this case. And if you happen to be uh, longer than that due to a uh, changeover in, or reduction in plant time, uh, that would be coordinated with management and the unemployment office for the third weeks, or in this case, this year, the third weeks and subsequent any subsequent weeks, uh, third weekends, any subsequent weeks. So, uh, Cindy Estrada's letter is very clear. Management will notify you. And again, we have union officials out there telling you to, to file for unemployment in an errant way. Unions represent people, our members. Mandatory subject of bargaining, wages, working conditions, and hours of employment. Okay, those are mandatory subject of bargaining with the company, not with anybody else. Having said that, it's been a longstanding policy at any one of our members that had a problem with the unemployment office that we have in the union knowledgeable labor advocates that would go and advocate for their position so they didn't have to necessarily get a lawyer and get right with the unemployment office. But that's not set in policy of who and when you should file. That's only sticking up for somebody that's been disadvantaged and disabused. Your union, our union, has no business telling you when to file for unemployment. Period. And there's going to be more on this later in the show. 
But that's, that should suffice for now, okay, on that issue. Uh, announcement, or email number three. Here's a toughie. My supervisor is harassing me at my job. What can I do to address and stop this? And in this case, name and state were withheld. Okay. Uh, well, uh, you know, anytime you feel you're being harassed, that is de facto harassment if you feel you're being harassed. We're going to give you some guidelines. Okay. Uh, keep a record of any and all communication with the party that's harassing you. Do this on a composition book style of binder. That's the kind of book where the pages are sewn into the book. These are admissible in court. Okay? So should it ever get to that level, you can actually use this as contemporary, contemporaneous notes made by yourself and recorded in a book that is not a loose-leaf binder or loose-leaf style of page. It could be you know, taken out and removed, but rather in a composition-style book with sewn-in pages. Do that. Make a good record. Keep it to the points. In some cases, if it starts getting bad, make a record of every word said to you. Say, speak slowly. I'd like you... I don't want to miss anything. I want to get it exactly my direction or what you've said. Okay? And you keep that. Uh, and every now and then make yourself a copy of it on a printer so that you have that in case somebody happens to abscond your little book. All right? Next thing you want to do is obviously contact your committee person. All right? And get them involved. And then... Uh, you want to ask the committee person for a civil rights chair. Civil rights chair has broad and wide authority in dealing with these. Okay? And they can address the uh, human resource department at, at, up in the front offices and try and get some resolution uh, as you know, soon uh, and uh, as possible. Now, uh, and that's the other thing. You want to try and resolve this at the lowest possible level as fast as you can so that the party that's doing the harassing stops it and you're back to just doing your job and not being harassed. As soon as you can get it done, the better off you're going to be. If it starts to fester and move up the system, you know, maybe get to court. It only gets worse from there. So you really want to settle this quick at the lowest level. And the civil rights chairs are schooled in this type of thing. You don't hear much about them. I had somebody tell me uh, the other day that they uh, didn't even know they existed. So uh, they're there. They're quiet. You know, they're supposed to be quiet. Your business isn't supposed to be out on Front Street. Okay, but they're very effective in what they do. Our civil rights chairs are second to none in our local unions. Okay, so those are the recommendations for trying to deal with your harassment, and that goes out to anybody. And we wish you well, and please keep us posted, and we hope that this, uh, these suggestions help you. All right, and good luck in the meantime. Try and stay out of the line of fire at the same time hold your ground and be careful what you say all right
because it's easy to get frustrated and jump out there. So that's the end of our email. Uh, let me t say the quote here, uh, this week's quote. The secret to success is good leadership, and good leadership is about making the lives of your team members or workers better. That's by Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy is a football, renowned football coach in Indiana. Uh, he has a cousin here from Lans in Lansing, uh, and that, that that cousin is a staff member at UAW, by the way. So uh, that's that's a nice uh, quote from him. Again, the secret to success is, is good leadership, and good leadership is about making the lives of your team or your workers better. Everybody needs to take care of that. All right, having said that, let me bring on the uh, other team members for the on-air team tonight and bring on uh, Jeff Brown first. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm good, Leroy. How are you? We're good around here. You know, it's been kind of weeks. Uh, and uh, we did uh, we did say that we were going to have a show last week, and then uh, for uh, reasons that seemed to make some sense with everybody gone, and now they're back this week, we abated last week's show, as you're well aware of, Jeff. So, uh, okay. uh, Let me bring on David Fillion. Hi, David. How are you? Good, Leroy. How are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good. We thought it was Thought it was going to rain a little bit here. Yeah, no rain so far. Well, it turned out really nice today. It was overcast for you know half a day, but pretty nice out tonight. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice night out. Uh, it's just one of those real uh, calm, calm nights out. So we're happy to have this kind of weather. It's you know not too hot, so it's kind of nice around here in Michigan. Uh, having said that. Uh, uh, Jeff, uh, do you have a report for us this evening on uh, your issues? Yeah. Um, first of all, um, we're going to talk about local 3000 elections, which we've been talking about for months now. Uh, the elections came through. There was a runoff. I was part of that. I was a challenger for that runoff. And another challenger and I went to the hall to count the votes. Um, for some reason, the, the election committee I had posted there was a winner that didn't need to be in the, in the race. It was a three-person runoff. Then watched the votes count, and, they, and the election committee in this one race declared a runoff. Right. Um, they pulled out the hot plants and posted results. And then the very next day, he said there was no runoff. So that means our president was in control of the entire election from the get-go. We've also been talking lately about um, any candidate who has had a felon, felony record in this hit past in that whole union office. We had emailed, we had, not emailed, we mailed information to UAW International, Dennis Williams. We notified our election committee. 
we found an appeal with not with just the international, but with our own local Victoria leadership. Um, days after the runoff election, the man who was who was in, uh, subject to the ceremony, um, somebody came out. I don't know if it was the international. I don't know if it was the Department of Labor. It could have been one, could have been both. But they removed him from his position. And rightfully so. He was in prison for two years. He he got out of prison in 2015. By law, it says he cannot run or hold a position for 13 years after his release. That's why he was removed. And now, on our Facebook page, on Local 3000, a lot of people are complaining about why this happened. Why was it anybody's business that he was, uh, have passed his criminal history? And they're trying to push back and try to uh, harass the people who came with this information. I'm the one whose name is on that appeal. So if anybody wants to come after me, please do. And I also will remind you that you need to read the whole Constitution, our bylaws, and sometimes the laws of the Department of Labor. Yes, Department of Labor and our uh, Constitution says almost the same thing. Um, We won. And we also requested some other people in our local leadership to be removed from becoming a union member. We'll wait and see if that happens. So I challenge anybody who wants to tear us down from doing the right thing you may want to look at yourself because once you get elected, can you take that oath of office? That means you must defend the whole Constitution of the UAW, not pick and choose the parts you want to uphold. If you do that, you're in the wrong business. You should be removed. You're supposed to enforce the entire Constitution and the bylaws. Most don't even know our bylaws say. So, the other day I read something on Facebook um, where it will say a suggestion was made that politicians or federal offices should be able to pass a test. I've been kind of thinking about that myself. Um, I've also been thinking about if you don't run for a union position, maybe you should pass the test. At least know a bit of the Constitution, contracts, and the bylaws. But unfortunately, everybody has the right to run, unless you have a only on record. So we are waiting to see what happens tomorrow. That's the first day back from shutdown. And hopefully it's quiet. Hopefully some people have some time to investigate things. But 
what we did in this case made history, and I'm proud to be a part of it. The gentleman has had a record of harassing people, intimidating people. He started a fight in a evening meeting with a child 10 feet away. This is a very big man, six, six foot two, 300 pounds. We don't need people like him holding a local position or any type of position. Um, he's the one that created a hostile work uh, environment in that meeting where he's supposed to be held to defend the peace. So he did the exact opposite. So, like as I said, we are very proud to have taken this on. I know a lot of people are upset, but hey, you win some, you lose some, some get rained out. And that's time we won. All I got, Leroy. Okay, Jeff. Um, let me just recap this a little and, and see if I got it right. Uh, and by and through that, the members and the listeners get it, you know, clear. Uh, sometime in April as I recall, there was a union meeting and the brother was standing and uh, saying some things and the sergeant of arms attacked him and another brother stood up or sitting addressed the sergeant of arms and said not to do that. And then the sergeant of arms started swinging at the second brother who was sitting at the beginning of this. And this fight took place in front of young children that members had brought in because they didn't have babysitter or just wanted them to watch and see union activity, supposedly at a communist. And because of that, uh, you brought uh, charges against the Sergeant Arms and the President for not controlling this uh, conduct on becoming. And... Uh, that was heard by the executive board in its entirety. Nobody recused himself, and the president signed the minutes exonerating the two of them, including himself. And that got sent up to the international. Subsequently, uh, to the next step, subsequently, and uh, uh, another person from your local had found out about this uh, narcotics felony and asked about it, and it's prohibited by the National Labor Relations Act, in fact, the Landrum-Griffin Act of that, and it's Title 29 U.S.C. 504. says very clearly narcotics felons are prohibited from holding union office from the date of their sentence or the date of their discharge, whichever is latter, for a period of 13 years. Correct. Armed with that, they told the leadership and they told the uh, election committee that that is the case. Notwithstanding they had prior knowledge, they allowed this gentlemen to be nominated, accepted, stand for, be elected, 
and sworn in to the office, re-elected to the office of Sergeant of Arms. The Not only does the federal law, but the Constitution say that, as you've indicated, but also in the election handbook, it spells it out very clear and puts the 29 U.S.C. 504 in its entirety in the election book, and it says any person in violation of this may not hold office in the UAW. This isn't something we dreamed up, or you or any member from your local dreamed up. Now, subsequent to him being elected, you filed another violation of the election code, and he, uh, and your, uh, and there were two other uh, violations uh, filed appeals on the election on different other, other issues. But yours was the fact, simple fact that he was elected and he shouldn't have been. And the membership, in their ultimate wisdom, did not second the motion to forward the, that motion for a vote in the membership at the meeting. And that, that motion or that appeal died at the first step. And you got a letter to that. Subsequent to your letter, almost simultaneous to your letter, in fact, the election committee, upon prompting, I am, uh, because they did not do their job initially in full knowledge of what was going on, someone from high on high prompted them to do their job, and they removed him as a member in bad standing. Now, that resolved your appeal uh, on the fact that he had been appealed or that he had been elected. So that resolved yours. There's still a couple others out there, I understand. But this man made his own record. Any karma that might be currently going on is karma that he caused himself and other people as he violated the narcotics laws of the United States. We don't know exactly and specifically all of that. We know that it was a plea agreement, meaning that it was less than what was originally charged. We know that he served two years and five days of a two-year sentence without any good time off, and it seems to me that he got some bad a few bad time days if you read it. Mm -hmm. Didn't get good time. It was a plea agreement. And it's only two years since he's been discharged from prison. We hope he turns his life around. We'd like to see that. All of us would. But the simple fact remains, he's a narcotics felon, and he's prohibited by federal law, the UAW Constitution, and the election committee rules and guidelines from holding office in the United Auto Workers or any other union. And those of you that stood up 
for what's fair, just, and proper and right by the law need not be under scrutiny, but held up on high as you would have been in the past for cleaning up our union to the small degree that you were able to do that with this single person. It needs to stand as a measure for all members to stand up and do the right thing. And those scrutinizing you ought to be ashamed of herself. Because they're only, only creating more apathy in a time when we need more advocacy and less apathy. So from all of us on our team, all of us on our team, each and every one, Jeff Brown, to you and your team and your local union, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for making our union just a little bit better. We appreciate it. And everybody else sees you in the plant or in a union hall needs to walk up and shake your hands. All of them. It's a little better union now. Thank you. Uh, David, do you have anything to add to Jeff's report? No, I don't. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff. We we appreciate your report and everything you and your, your team has done there locally. Um, you, uh, uh, David, do you have a report tonight for everybody? Yeah, um, I'd like to start out um, with some contract language, and then we can have a um, roundtable discussion. I'm going to start from page 141, National Agreement, eligibility for vacation entitlement, um, less than one year, 40 hours, one but less than three years, 80 hours, three but less than five years, 100 hours, five but less than 10 years, 120 hours, 10 but less than 10 years, 140 hours. 15, but less than 20 years, 160 hours, 20 or more years, 200 hours. You know, keep in mind that in each category, um, 40 hours of each category are considered VR days, days that you can take off any time for any reason, be it that you um, have sick children, or that you're sick yourself, or have obligations that you have to meet. So 40 hours of that is spent in VR time. Um, that said, I'd like to jump to um, vacation time off procedure. And I would like to read to you 202, so on page 145, um, this um, 202, um, you should get a real warm and fuzzy feeling when you read this. Management recognizes the desirability of providing vacation time off with pay up to vacation entitlement, to which the employee seniority will entitle them on December 31st of the current year in a manner that preserves the maintenance of efficient operations while 
giving consideration to the desires of the employees. During Section 202A, during February of each year, local management will notify the shop committee of its decision to schedule no more than two plant vacation shutdown weeks and will identify the specific week or weeks such shutdown will occur. Plant management may schedule the plant vacation shutdown weeks to take place during any weeks between Memorial Day, Labor Day, or with the local union's agreement during other weeks more advantageous to plant operations. The national parties may also approve certain weeks that are beneficial to both employees and business needs, product launches, holiday periods. Um, now, getting away from the warm and fuzzy feeling of the beginning, um, Section 202C, management at each plant will establish a procedure whereby employees during February may make application and writing for vacation time off, indicating first, second, and third choices. If plant vacation shutdown weeks are scheduled, the dates of such shutdown weeks are to be included in the employee's vacation schedule. In the event more employees apply for time off, and can be spared from the job at a given time, plant seniority will be the basis for resolving priority of applications for time off, except that applicants working on jobs which usually operate when the plant is shut down during such periods as model change, plant rearrangement, plant vacation shutdown weeks, or inventory will be given first consideration for time off during periods other than shutdown period. So two weeks of your vacation is tied up into this. Section 202D, each employee will be given a written dep deposition of their vacation time off request. Approved vacation time off exclusive of the time identified as plant vacation shutdown weeks will not thereafter be canceled or changed I lost my place. I have to get my computer back on. Cancel their change. The employee may reschedule. Their, if it is canceled or changed, then employees can change um, and reschedule or put in um, more vacation slips in accordance with local plant practice. Um, then I'm going to skip to 201 or 202F, an eligible employee who has approved vacation time off in accordance with paragraph 202C, either through individual vacation scheduling or scheduled plant vacation shutdown weeks, shall receive their vacation pay up to the amount of their approved time off in the pay period, following the pay period in which the approved vacation time off is taken. An employee may elect to waive this provision by submitting an application at least two days prior to the approved vacation time off. 
Upon receipt of the application, payment of what specified vacation entitlement will be made pursuant to provisions for payment of an unused balance in paragraphs 93A and 93B. So that's about as far as I want to go into the contract language, Larry. Um, 202C seems to be quite draconian. Um, as I indicated in the beginning, 40 hours of everyone's vacation entitlement is already dedicated to VR time. And in the case of some employees, they only meet um, the first year um, requirement. And they only have 40 hours. That's their VR time. In their case, um, during the two-week shutdown, um, their time off is just considered layoff time. So having read all of that, I'll open it up to discussion. We'll have roundtable discussion on it. Whoever would like okay. to go first. Okay. Um, well, f first of all, uh, I want to thank all of the listeners. We have a, a lot of listeners in the uh, switchboard this evening, so I want to thank everybody for coming on and listening to the show. Very much appreciated uh, by all of us that put a lot of work in to make sure that we make a record of who and what we are over a long period of time, and it's nice to see people actually uh, in a switchboard. And of course, we have a lot of them in there, but a lot of, there's an extraordinary amount tonight. So thanks, everybody, for stopping by and taking time out of your Sunday evening to, to listen. Uh, and tell your friends uh, so that they can listen through the week if they didn't catch us tonight. So thank you. Um, the uh, uh, issue of young people having their vacation time taken up and uh, uh, at the July 1st and 2nd shutdown weeks and where they have little to no other time. They might have their VR days that they have, and that's uh, uh, a, uh, an issue of... Uh, uh, maybe taking a couple the first half of the year and a couple after the second half of the year, but how would you like? And I, I heard a young brother tell me earlier this week, I go back to work and I have three VR days left for the entire year. Now, he didn't have family and little kids, but I think if you're a young couple or a single mom or a single dad and you have three VR days and you got little kids, that get sick, and how do you handle that? I mean, you like to take your, you know, do it properly and take your vacation time. And I'd also like to remind everybody, this contract language that, that David just talked about is in the General Motors Agreement, and those paragraphs are in the General Motors Agreement, but Ford and Chrysler has similar language only under a different heading in the, in the contract. Uh, and... I think uh, it was Ford that had the worst uh, uh, contract uh, atten attendance uh, policy. It just kept getting worse as the FCA was set first and then GM second and then Ford with, with little pushback from those first two. Ford seemed to get the, even a, a 
worse language in there. So it's, uh, and that's what you're fighting for the balance of the year. If you have three VR days and and obligations to your family, you know, how do you balance that in a in a way that's you know compatible with what's necessary here? I mean, if you have a child that needs to go to the doctor and you have a vacation day and you know a couple days in advance, you can say, hey, Mr. or Ms. Supervisor, can I have a vacation day? If nobody's else got that, I have a child that needs to go to the, the doctor and I'd like to, you know, do this without, you know, getting in trouble with my employment. So the fairness of it and the interest of the membership needs to be addressed. It seems as though this hasn't been the case. Uh I have some more to add, but I'm going to ask Jeff what his thoughts are. Jeff, you want to jump in here and uh, give us some of your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, it puts some new hires or the second-tier people at a very disadvantage. Um, when we hired in a Miles look back 20, 30 years ago, uh, we, right off the get-go, we had... Oh, 10 days of vacation. We had our insurance in the first day. Um, the last uh, at that time, don't take one week away from us for shutdown. And when we became foreign workers in 1997, um, it went to help me to take two weeks. And that really upset my membership very hard. And they're still mad about it, as a matter of fact. Um, younger workers, um, they have to learn every job in the area. If you don't know if they're going to go slowly, if they're going to go over to not there, uh, they're really being taken advantage of. And not only by the company, uh, but even by some of our union reps. I mean, really don't think of them as part of their uh, people in their district. They have to represent. So they need all the time that you get. They need better health insurance, pension, uh, and the team working for a living is going to change all that when you come into power. So that's all I got, really. Okay, Jeff. Um, yeah, it's it's just you know. Yeah, everybody's up in arms. I mean, these, these young people are coming back from this two-week shutdown with, and just been stripped of any opportunity to have any time off to balance the year. You know, I mean, uh, even in the first of the year. I mean, there's a lot of young families that like to go to Florida in you know mm-hmm. late January or March. You know, I mean, uh, you know, get get out of the cold weather and just get away for a little bit. Uh, and they they don't have that opportunity. I mean, surely they only have a couple of weeks vacation, but when it's burned up, you know, required, forced upon them in the first first uh, two weeks in July, then it, there's no flexibility for their life, and it's not a, you know it's a privilege of the member, but demanded by management. I'd like to add to that a little bit because I'm reminded of the long view of these companies as they've somehow squeezed us over decades. In the early 90s, at the end of the last year and in 
agreement, they gave us a $600 bonus. And the $600 was equivalent to about four days' wages. And then the next agreement, the very next year, they come back and they said, no Christmas bonus this year for active workers. We're going to take that 600 and we're going to fold it in to the first week of July whenever the 4th of July falls, and you'll have the 4th of July holiday in these four days, and you'll have a whole week off of vacation time. Or, of, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, paid paid holiday. This isn't vacation, paid, paid holidays, whole week off. And we're going to ask you to take one week of vacation, one week of vacation uh, during the second week, so now we have the first two weeks of July off, and that's that sounded pretty good. And nobody's really given up a lot of time because they were talking to people with 15 years and above, by and large. Very few people were new. Very few. So now you have the first two weeks in July off, and you're using one week of your vacation. Most everybody's got, you know, minimum of three. Very few people with, you know, two very, very few new hires. So everybody's got probably three or four weeks vacation. So taking one of those at second week in July and you have first week that's now been converted to $600 Christmas bonus plus the holiday for five days of paid time off, holiday days essentially. And then somehow, somehow, that was given away that week, and they said, no, we're not going to pay that anymore. We're going to take that from your vacation pay. And now for the older seniority people, you're taking up half of their time on these two weeks. Well, they still have a little flexibility, but the younger people, those younger people that truly have the need for the flexibility throughout the entire year have no opportunity to take vacation days. If it was just the one week like it was set out to be in the beginning, they'd still have a week flexibility. But that went away because of the current leadership at the top of our union and their successors who are of the same mindset. And that is why Working for a Living Caucus exists to stop this concession that's been going on in our union and reverse it and recover those things due to our members, due, that are due to our members, not because of our members, but due them. The payment of the holiday should be at the company's expense, not our vacation expense. And the members should have the privilege of when they want to take their vacation. Sure, they can waive it. They can always point, well, they could waive it and not get paid at all. It was negotiated, and they had double. And now they took the double away and, and made it single and required both weeks to be vacation. Unless you're independently wealthy, and, of course, the wages have been suppressed so bad that that's, 
not going to ever be the case, notwithstanding Dennis Williams says, oh, we want you to have all these benefits. We just don't want you to get wealthy. Don't want you to get rich, was his words. So that's the history of it. It sure seems as hell that it's not in the interest of the membership and hardly fair, and a lot of people stand out there and say, well, a lot of things aren't fair. Well, that's true. But in this case, fair did exist, and it was taken away from us. And those younger members are most disadvantaged, and we seek to stop and reverse that. Jeff, would you concur that we want to stop and reverse this? Oh, yes, and definitely. One of our top goals. Right. David? David, do you want to stop and reverse this? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, Also, um, the draconian um, attendance policy. Um, In the case of the young fellow that um, you had an opportunity to speak to that only has three VR days left, when those VR days left are gone, um, his his avenue then is um, FMLA. And I've seen a lot of members um, attack other members um, for their use of FMLA. I really wish that they didn't do that to each other. Um, It plays into Stockholm Syndrome, um, where you begin to feel um, sympathetic to your employer, uh, even though you're disadvantaged. so I would like to see the draconian um, lieutenant's policy changed as well as restoring um, the members' rights to take their vacation time when they choose to and, and right the wrong. Um, yes, we've, it, it's been taken away. And it does affect um, higher seniority employees. So like I said, 40 hours, is, you know, if you got 200 hours, you got 25 years, you got 200 hours, you really only got 160 hours of vacation time, 40 hours of it's VR time. And go ahead and take away um, more vacation time for that for the two week shutdown, and you're left with very little. Um, I used to take off the entire month of July. That was my choice every year. I had the seniority, and uh, my my vacation slips would be approved, and uh, I would take the whole month off and still have time. Not much time left, but enough to get through the rest of the year. Uh, sometimes I would use it. Sometimes I'd just let them pay me in January. Yeah. So um, I feel bad for these young kids. They're trapped. Um a very bad situation um, where they're not able to utilize their vacation the way that they want to spend time with their families. This is the corporation's shutdown time, not the members. They should pay for it. That's my opinion on that, Larry. Well, yeah, David, it used to be, you know, changeover. 
Okay. Correct. And you you would get you know unemployment for their shutdown time when they want to you know improve the the machining operations, maintain the machining operations. This was this was changeover. Okay, and you put a week or two with vacation along with changeover, you can easily get a month off in the summertime. Yes, sir. Easily. Yes, sir. But when they change that and try to make us responsible for their changeover time, that's that's their responsibility. Our vacation is supposed to be at the privilege of members. They want to have a shutdown, just pay us unemployment. Yeah, that costs them a little bit of money, but it's not as much as what you would think. Certainly not full wages, because that's unemployment insurance, and it's balanced across the entire uh, workforce, many of whom never get laid off. So uh, the, uh, you know, their costs are substantially left less on a, on a changeover situation where uh, our members are on layoff than they are uh, just you know, paying wages. So I'd like to say this to the members, the younger members, we hear your issue. We don't view it as crybaby, wanton. We view it as a need for you. Team Working for a Living Caucus views it as a need for you to have your vacation time at the pleasure of yourself and your family. And we aspire to change this. We may not be fully successful, but we're going to see improvement on it virtually as soon as we ascend to leadership. And that's a promise from our team. You've heard the two other on-air members say the same thing that I just said to you just now. We seek, it's our number one priority to seek, stop this and reverse it. You members deserve your vacation time when you want it. Like I just indicated, we might not be fully successful, but we're going to see some success along this. Okay? Having said that, we're at uh, 8.05 right now, a little bit long for the show. Pretty much said what I was going to say in my report throughout all the other reports. Just briefly, I'll say... Uh, I was in conversation with an academic over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I get that a lot because I'm here in the capital of Michigan with a lot of academics working here, and, of course, we have the university. And this was a young person and asked about the Flint water crisis. And I said that the Flint water crisis was known at least a year in advance before it hit the press. And asked why, I said, because I used to live in Flint and I still have a lot of political leaders and friends in the union there. And they came to Lansing to meet with the legislators and academia and told them their plight with this water. And now everybody knows it. I don't want to belabor this. 
After they met with them, I invited them to Smoky Bones to dinner. We discussed it in full. I support them, they support us. And I paid for dinner for all of us. These are people that I worked with next to on the line that are now community leaders. One's a bishop in the denomination that she serves, the woman. Religious bishop. Shout out to you. I won't say your name, call you out. You worked in a piston department next to me at one time. I was in the cylinder heads, but occasionally get loaned out. So they knew, academia, academia knew. It wasn't until a Ph.D. from Virginia wrote an article outlining the entire disaster, and then it made the national news. Academia failed us here in, in our mid-Michigan, and they were told. I know they were told. I was privy to their conversation within an hour of it taking place. Leaders, current and former and aspiring leaders, need to do the right thing. If you are self-actualized, educated at the highest level and teach 800-level classes, and you were appraised of, approached and appraised of this disaster, and you did nothing, and you're on staff at a major university, Michigan State University, being paid, at some point, even though you're not elected, you have an obligation to the community that surrounds you. If you don't think you do, then why do you exist? You're worthless. Your 23-page resume is worthless if you don't stand up for what's fair, just, and proper. I use the example to make my case to this young academic and said, you know, we had a felon, a narcotics felon, and nobody was doing it. The current leadership was not doing it. The local leadership, the international leadership was condoning this. They knew about it. And our team and the team in the local union where it was taking place stood up for what's right and fair and did what's right to remove this person, forced the removal, and made our union a better place. You must, if you're a leader, do the right thing. If you're a former leader, you need to stand up and do the right thing. If you're an aspiring leader, stand up and do the right thing. Hold people to account with federal law. Hold people to account that are violating water rights, water quality, for whole blocks of people otherwise disadvantaged. 
if you see injustice, it's incumbent on you. And I'm talking to you, the retirees of the UAW that have been leaders. It is incumbent on you to rise up, influence those you have influence with, and stop what's going on at our international union by supporting Teamwork and for a Living Caucus and supporting any academic that stands up to try and fix something. That's not the only success that our team has had. Jordan Lake, a year ago, David asked me to participate, and David and I have been participating in the Lake Board meetings. David's been gone on to become educated to the expert level about water quality and weed and noxious weeds. Invasive. He's done a lot of hard work all summer long, this summer, to make the lake a little better. Because of those things that we did, especially David, in the last two weeks, uh, well, a week, a month ago now, noticed, we noticed, it was, it was public about three weeks ago. Three board members on that lake board have resigned because they could not stand the heat of learned professionals with degree letters behind their name in the area of water quality, geology, and weed and plant management, and aquatic plant management. They've resigned. They couldn't stand that heat. One of them is a pharmacist, essentially a chemist, that knew exactly what he was doing to the lake. The lake is getting better, and our team, especially David, can take great credit for affecting a greater community in a better way. This is what's incumbent upon everybody. If you're living in redneck country or liberal country or somewhere in between, it's incumbent upon you to do the right thing, whatever that is. Stop the injustices and stand up. We need more advocacy and less apathy. So I want to thank everybody for listening this evening. I'll ask Jeff if he has anything else. Jeff, do you have anything else first? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. You're great report and good work in your local. We really appreciate all your members as well. David? Um, nothing that I have to add, Leroy. Very good show tonight. Okay, thank you. Uh, that's all I have to add as well. I want to thank all the listeners, everybody in the switchboard. Uh, a couple dropped off, but we're we're happy to have you listening this evening. Um, many thanks. Uh, remember, if you found value in this, tell just one more person. Uh, and we, you know, listeners are going up geometrically. So thank you for helping us to get the word out. We appreciate it. Uh, our email address is working for a living at working for a living. So feel free to write us on any issue you might have or comment on anything. Uh, 
we're syndicated on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Snitcher, Snitcher, Stitcher, and Player FM. Of course, you can find all of those on workingforaliving.com in the top right-hand corner. Uh, shout out to all of our worldwide friends, uh, all of our uh, Canadian and Mexican listeners. Shout out to everybody from Sea to Shining Sea across the United States. Thank you all for listening. Uh, good night, listeners. Stay safe and have a wonderful week ahead. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday night or by podcast at any time in the future. Good night, David and Jeff, and good night, listeners. Good night, everybody. <laughs>